Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Undying Light. I am your host as always, Alex, and as been the norm lately, we are continuing our plunge through eschatology. And as we do this, we are looking at now scripture, finally. Uh, we've been in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and we've looked at the account of the flood. And then we took a week off. Um, for just the end of October, it was a five-week month, and I figured, why don't we use that fifth Friday, and we'll tackle the state of theology report that Ligonier puts out every couple of years. And so I had uh, Chris and Nephew join me, um, so I hope you all enjoyed that episode. And today, we are going to continue our plunge through Genesis, and we are going to actually go through Genesis and into Exodus. So today, we're going to look at uh, three major stories. We're going to look at uh, the story of Abraham, we're going to look at the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, and then we're going to look at the Exodus. So just a few things to kind of clarify as we, before we really dig into this, um, one is understanding that these events are not pointing towards the you know new heavens and new earth the final destruction but they are eschatological in their essence and they are setting us up towards um something to come something greater to come they're really uh you know as we study eschatology we can start to understand what's called typology and typology is um a story a figure um, an event that points us towards a greater event to come. And that's what we discovered with the flood. That's what we're going to get with Abraham. That's what we're going to get with the Exodus, um, and even Sodom and Gomorrah. So these are all eschatological in nature, but they are not in reflection to like the events that you'll read in revelation. So, um, but they do carry some significant weight because, uh, for instance, Jesus refers to Sodom and Gomorrah in the New Testament. So uh, understanding how these events happened and the text surrounding it, I think is pretty crucial as we are going through this. So what I've done is I have kind of set up a, a tentative schedule, if you would. Um, I'm hoping it can be fairly concrete um, in regards to um, how things are going to play out. So this episode, obviously, we're dealing with Abraham, Sodom and Gomorrah, and Exodus. And then we're going to talk um, kind of in a dual episode, a little bit on um, the day of the Lord. And then we're going to touch on Ezekiel, Isaiah. And then we're going to talk about Daniel uh, to wrap up the Old Testament. So that's going to be uh, the last three episodes in November. We'll cover those topics. Uh, and then... We are going to take a break from the eschatology series, and we're going to talk on. Uh, we're going to do a Christmas series four weeks in December, 
And then January, we will kick off with the New Testament eschatology. We're going to look at the Gospels. Uh, we'll probably spend um, a couple weeks looking at those. And then we're going to look at Pauline theology uh, and how he uh, views eschatology. And we'll spend a few weeks on that. And then we'll spend a few weeks in Revelation as well. So that should take us well into um, the first few months of 2021. So that's kind of the roadmap that I'm looking at right now. Obviously, uh, things will change, um, but I think I've stayed pretty close to what I originally had intended with this series so far. Just some of the topics may get kind of uh, pushed around a little bit, but I think I've stayed fairly close for what I originally have set out. And uh, for that, I'm, I'm very happy with kind of the overall direction that we've taken this. I think that um, taking it at, at the Old Testament approach has been... Um, it's been really interesting for me because I get to revisit a lot of these stories and look at it in a different lens and hopefully um, taking you through that, uh, you can view these in a very different lens and a different understanding. Obviously, my goal is not to read into text and try to formulate uh, an eschatological perspective when there isn't one that exists. So, uh, that is not what uh, I intend on doing. There are a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of scripture in the Old Testament. And some would argue that there's always something that you can read into the text. And I would agree to that. But I would be very careful to say we are going to put, you know, es uh, eschatology into every single thing. So I'm only highlighting a few big events. Um, some obviously are more well-known and trying to just give us a different perspective of how can we view and understand these scriptures. So that is the roadmap, and that's kind of my baseline of thinking as we look at some of these events. Um, and then uh, that's, like I said, I don't have an, an estimation on when the series will actually wrap up, but you know, I figure three or four weeks on the Gospels, a couple of weeks on the Pauline, and probably seven to ten weeks on Revelation. Um, so we can we can probably say about three or four more months into the new year. So probably spring we will kick off our next series. And that is going to be uh, the smaller, lesser talked about um, characters and books of the Bible, stories of the Bible that just don't really get a lot of the headway. So we'll spend a few weeks looking at that. And then we're going to um, probably just start in the New Testament. We're going to go verse by verse, section by section, all the way through the New Testament. And I think that's going to be very um, edifying, I think, for me and uh, you as a listener. So that's kind of the roadmap over the next couple of months. And obviously this show today, uh, just a few more house cleaning bits before um, we dig into the context of the show. Um, first of all, the if you are interested in supporting um, Undying Light and being a part of this ministry, and as it grows and changes and it evolves, you can join us by becoming a patron. Uh, the link is in my Reformed underscore Lifestyle bio on Instagram and Undying Light Ministries bio as well. So you can, um, for as little as a dollar a month, join this ministry in helping it grow and reach more and more people and uh, there's a lot of things that I have in the pipelines in terms of content coming down the way, um, but also just some stuff that I do, um, you know, on the side for the patrons, Bible studies, the group chats, the, you know, sermon preaching and all that kind of stuff. I do a ton of stuff just specifically for them. So dollar a month gets you access to all that. The other aspect is, is if you are looking at getting some Undying Light merch, you can buy uh, shirts, uh, sweatshirts, hats, bags, all sorts of stuff that we have. The Undying Light logo um, on the front, and then we have Psalm 119, 105 printed on the back. Um, I've got a sweatshirt on order for myself. I can't wait. It's just the right weather, so very excited for that to come in, and I will be repping that gear everywhere I go. And obviously, the one thing that has been instrumental to me is Logos Bible Software. So get yourself a copy. It is not just for pastors uh, or deacons or, or bishops or whatever position the church wants to give you. It is for all people. It is for stay-at-home moms who are raising up their children. It is for people on the go. It is for youth ministry. It is for just anybody who has a fascination with the Word of God. Logos can give you tools 
to dig into the text at a deeper rate than probably any other piece of software. And it's very easy to learn and very easy to use as well. Uh, and uh, so I'm very excited that I have been given the privilege to um, be able to give this to you at a discounted rate. So you can check out at logos.com forward slash undying light and get yourself a package deal uh, with a percentage off 10% off the package. And then you get some free books on top of all of the stuff that they give you in the package. So cool things there. Um, that's really all I want to do. I don't want to spend a ton of time just babbling on and on and on, but, uh, I want to get into the text of the show. And, uh, I, I really hope that this is going to really, um, give you some interest in regards to where are we and, uh, what are we looking at? So, uh, I'm going to read Genesis 12 and we're going to look at Abraham, the call of Abraham, uh, and then we will start to look at some of these uh, different texts that kind of follow his story, and then we're going to look at Sodom and Gomorrah, and then we will fast forward into Exodus and discuss a little bit on Moses as well. So, all right, here we go, Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, and the Lord had told him, And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarah his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all of their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah, at the time the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country, to the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent with Bethel on the east and Ai on the east. And there he had built the altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, going toward the Negev. So that is the opening text to this call of Abram. Now, obviously, we don't really get much here. However, we get a few pieces that we can start to kind of put together towards this promise that is coming towards Abram, uh, who obviously, by the time we will revisit, will be have his name changed to Abraham. So we will address it as Abraham going forward. Now, these promises, right? We see uh, the Lord God giving Abraham the blessing um, in verse two, and then turns around and says, and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And he gives a warning here and he says, and to him who dishonors you, I will curse and to all, and you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So interestingly enough, I've had a few discussions, um, with uh, a few of my close friends uh, recently, we were actually talking about Abraham and how uh, the the journey isn't just meant for the Israelites, right? Um, we see here in verse 3 that all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, that doesn't mean every single individual person in all of time and all of space, but what God is addressing here is that this promise isn't meant just for the nation of Israel, but it's meant for all nations. And that is what we will see here, the seed of Christ being promised to Abraham as we move forward into our text. So a few things that I really would like to address um, as we start to dig into the uh, understanding of Abraham. So a few key things. Obviously, what we know now is even with the flood that God has wiped away, sin is still present in the land. So what we will understand is what these blessings will partake in and how they will address the coming nations. So 
Uh, the theme of God's call to Abraham is evident in a fivefold repetition of key terms, bless and or blessings. It's also important to understand the repetition of the word you and your. Now, like I just mentioned, man's sin is still resulted in God's curse. And that's why God says there in verse 2 and 3 that he will curse those who uh, dishonor Abraham. And we understand that sin is still prevalent, uh, going all the way back to Genesis 3. And But here, what we are starting to get is that God is promising his people. He is building a nation for himself and Abraham is going to be the key person. Abraham is going to be the patriarch for this nation. And then again, what we will understand too is, is that this nation of people isn't just referring to the, the physical nation of Israel, but it's a nation of all believers in Christ. And that is eventually what we will see. Now, in another discussion that we talked about with Abraham uh, between me and my friends is that this isn't replacement theology. This isn't the believers in Christ are replacing the church of Israel. But uh, Paul makes it very clear in Romans that the Gentiles, those who are outside of the nation of Israel, are those who are grafted in, um, and they are still belonging to the promise of Abraham. So that's one thing to make note. This is not replacement theology, um, to make that very clear as we go forward. But uh, I do want to address this kind of in the state that this blessing is meant for both the Gentiles and the Jews. So when we get to this call of Abram or Abraham, uh, four basic promises that we get, right? The offspring, the land, the blessing to Abraham himself, and the blessings to all of the nations through Abraham. Uh, so that's one, That's a, kind of the premise to this whole text is God is setting up Abraham to be you know, the father of all nations. And Interestingly enough, and this will probably be something we cover when we go through Genesis verse by verse, is we'll be talking a lot because Abraham is uh, a part of covenant theology, and this is a text that really digs into that point of covenant theology. Now, very different um, than what we're discussing today and something that I'm not going to necessarily dig into uh, fully, however... You know, some of these things we do have to understand. So really with, you know, like I said, covenant theology is a great topic, but not what we're here for today. So one of the things I really want to make sure um, as we are going through this and looking at the account of Abraham is obviously Abraham isn't looking for uh, the end of times. He's not looking for the destruction of the world. Uh, and that's not really anything that uh, anybody in the Old Testament is looking for. They're looking for the promise that God is giving them, the promised Messiah. And that is going all the way back to the the first promise in Genesis 3.15. And now we see this as becoming the foundation to that promise in Genesis 12, that he is promised to be the father of all of the nations. So that is the looking forward aspect in the eschatology view. Uh, it's looking towards something greater, the end of, or the you know the conclusion of the promise that God has given them. So that's one big distinction we should really understand between Old Testament and New Testament. Um, the Old Testament is looking towards the coming Messiah. The New Testament is looking towards the conclusion of this sinful world and the new heaven and the new earth. But they all are a building block to obviously, the end of times. So Paul writes in Galatians about the promise of Abraham. He says here in chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, I'll read these for you. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He said not, and to the seeds as of many, but as of one, and to the seed, which is Christ. And this I say that the covenant which was confirmed before the, before God in Christ, the law, and which was 430 years after, cannot disavow that it would make the promise of none effect. So uh, Paul's obviously talking here about um, the law 
and the Exodus, where Moses or post Exodus, where Moses was given the law. Um, but we go back to Abraham as being the patriarch because it's his. It is through Abraham's seed, singular seed, which is Christ. But then there's the other way to look at it too, um, and what we must understand is that through Abraham is the father of all nations, but he does have one very specific um, seed, that it is Abraham's faith that saved him, and that is the same faith that saves us. It's the faith in Jesus Christ. Because it is no other faith, obviously, that saves us. It is not by Abraham's works. It wasn't by his um, circumcision. It wasn't by him taking Isaac up on the mountain to sacrifice him. It was Abraham's faith, and Paul even notates that as well, that it was Abraham's faith that justified him. Uh, we see that even in Hebrews, and we see that in, um, all throughout Scripture, that it is faith that saves a person. Not by their works. Obviously, hopefully, if you're listening to this, you know that, and I don't have to be banging that drum very long. So that is kind of the pretext to Abraham not spending a ton of time on him. Obviously, there's so much history uh, and theology that can be pulled out of. I mean, just you know, looking at 12, and then we can uh, scroll down here to, to chapter 15, and we see this covenant that God is making with Abraham. I just want to read this, this language. Obviously, this is something a little bit off the topic, but just listen to the words here. In verse 12, chapter 15, As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in the land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried in a good old age. And as they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. A lot going on in these few verses here. And what I am also reading this too is not just because it's the covenant promise that God is making with Abraham, but this is a pretext to what we will be getting to at the end of this episode, and that is the Exodus. This is a foreshadowing of the Exodus to come, and so we we the, oh, I just I can't I can't just I can't stop smiling and understanding the beauty of scripture and just how we see this God, this redemptive plan that God has given us from Genesis one all the way through revelation. I, it just, this is just, it it is a marveling moment and I hope you guys can just sit back and, and just smile as well with me. Um, so what we are going to do is we are going to put these verses into the back of our minds and we are going to zip down now to chapter 19 um, in, uh, in Genesis, and we are going to quickly look at a few pieces, um, and we're also going to jump into the New Testament, New Testament, and we're going to talk about Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, this is a moment where God's wrath comes down from heaven and destroys cities. And this is a, a preview of the punishment that God will deliver two sinners upon judgment day. And so Sodom and Gomorrah is a great type of a greater judgment to come. Now, there's a lot of contested knowledge here. Um, A lot of the progressive Christians are going to argue that Sodom and Gomorrah doesn't really talk about homosexuality. Uh, It only talks about men raping men. And... I'm going to tell you that that's just ridiculous. Sodom and Gomorrah is an epicenter of sin and depauchery. It is an epicenter of homosexuality and of just absolutely disgusting works at the hands of man. And the fact that progressive Christians today try to play down this instance in Scripture shows that their hearts are completely hardened around 
the mercy of God and they misrepresent even the wrath of God. This isn't simply just men raping men or men raping even children in here in this text, but it is literally exploiting every single sexual sin possible in these two cities. And we've seen this kind of at the turning point with the flood that men were just being destructive and violent with their own hands. And therefore God brought judgment to them. And that is what we see here as well. Now, obviously Sodom and Gomorrah has um, a little bit of some context going back here to um, looks like back into chapter 18, but we're not going to talk on that. Um, who we see in verse 22 and 18 that uh, Abraham is interceding for Sodom, um, that he's pleading that there, if there are some righteous men still, will you hold your hand back from, from delivering your wrath? Now, obviously what Abraham is trying to do is he's trying to save Lot because Lot is living there and Abraham wants to save him and uh, his family. So what we're going to look at is just kind of an overview here of... Um, the effect, and then we are going to look at the aftermath, and then we're going to look at some New Testament text with this. So chapter 19, verse 1, the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose and to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, my lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, no, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to them and entered his house and made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all of the people to the last man, surrounded the house and called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Now I'm going to pause here really quick. Obviously, as I've mentioned, that sexual sin was very prevalent. And one of the things with sex uh, in Scripture is this is that they may know them. That is what that those words mean in this text here. It's not a greeting, you know, getting to know somebody, but it is literally to the most utmost sexual manner that they can, you know, do. And in this case, it probably is referring to uh, an instance of rape, that these men are that sinful and that dark in the heart. And that is kind of what some of the sexual sin amounts to today, is when you see uh, somebody naked, whether it's on your computer screen, your phone screen, in person, at a strip club, wherever it is, you pretty much know everything about them. You know, their entire body is unclothed in front of you. What else is there to know? And so that is what, um, that is why sexual sin is so prevalent and it's addictive because it's that it, your body releases endorphins and it, it's a craving that you desire to get to know or get to have more of. And that is why sexual sin is so, such a dangerous sin. It, because it doesn't just easily release you. And anyways, that, I, I can go on and rant on this for forever because sexual sin is, is so prevalent, not only in the church, but obviously in the secular world. We see it everywhere. Uh, you don't even have to be looking for it, and it's going to fall into your face. And, you know, but what we are understanding here in the text is that these men were out to essentially just sin and... Um, violate others. Now, that's not the whole context to what I'm, you know, getting at in this text. Obviously, this city is filled with sinners and they commit many, many heinous sins. So now what we get as we jump down to verse 23 is the actual destruction of Sodom. And I'll read it as follows here. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zor. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all of the valley and all of the inhabitants 
of the cities that had grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. Now I want to pause right here. The pillar of salt. As we look at this, this isn't just a punishment on the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. God had given explicit instructions uh, back in verse 15, take up your wife and your two daughters who are with you, lest they be swept away in the punishment of the city. So once Lot gets out, his wife still has feelings for this city. She still has harboring some sin in her heart. Now, obviously, we can look at this text and come to any sort of conclusion that we want, but this is the fact that what God is saying, take with you, lest you be swept away. And she turns and looks and becomes a pillar of salt. Now, as we get down to verse 27, and Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord, and he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all of the land of the valley. And he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities in the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Now, that to me is a that is a that is a uh, this is quite the judgment to be administered simply for sin. But we have to also understand that God does not play with sin. God does not take sin lightly, and therefore sin must be punished. And guess what? That means the sinner as well. So now let's look at a few pieces. Now, we're not going to get into the context too deeply, but I do want to make note that the reason that Sodom and Gomorrah is so relevant uh, in terms of text and context and understanding God's judgment bringing upon the sinner is the very words of Christ in Luke seventeen twenty eight. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, even so it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. That is a pinning point towards the coming of Christ, but it'll be like the days of Lot where sin runs rampant. Now we can jump over to Matthew 10, obviously not digging into the context, but 10.15, truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. And that is where Jesus is talking about... um, those who have rejected his message about the coming of the kingdom of God. And he's basically establishing the fact that Sodom and Gomorrah is going to make it out easier than these people. And so what we can start to understand is the eschatological importance that Sodom and Gomorrah have. They become kind of the pinpoint for some of this New Testament uh, eschatology. Now, Again, what we should also understand is, too, that there's, there is so much here. There is a lot to dig into. People have written an enti- entire books on just these, uh, m- these moments, these points in time where there are certain events, and they've written you know, deep, thought-provoking arguments to go to each or either side. And, uh, you know, it, it's hard to really do when you're trying to produce a 45-minute show and you're trying to cover kind of a broad perspective. So what I'm really, again, my my premise is just to give you a teaser to kind of start to build some understandings to the text and start to build some kind of foundations to understanding how eschatology is developed through Scripture. I would highly encourage you to continue doing research and digging into these texts and reading the text and studying the text because that is what I've been doing. I encourage you to read, study, and, and dig into this much more than what I can on a, you know, a short podcast episode. Uh, obviously, this is not a, you know, a, a semester-long school where I'm, you know, I have three hours a night to teach you three times a week or whatever. You know, these are just once a week um, introduction, introductions, basically, into some of this text. Now, I hope that when we change out of this series and move into the next text, 
um, we can really spend more time just really focusing on particular uh, scripture verses and, and sections in that. But because this text, because this topic is so um, focused in regards to this, the content that it covers, um, I don't have the opportunity to really dig into all of the uh, various theologies behind it. With that in mind, let us leave Genesis, and we are going to jump down now to Exodus, and we are going to look at the um, leaving of the Israelites out of Egypt, and we are going to briefly touch on this as well. Again, this is this is probably one of the biggest um, topics in regards to um, the Old Testament uh, eschatology and understanding all of the things that happened in Egypt and all of the things that will happen in the end of time. So there's a lot of parallels. There's a lot of connections. So we're going to try to uh, we're going to try to pay enough tribute to it and to, uh, and, and hopefully enough respect because there is a lot of material that we need to cover in about 10 minutes of time. So uh, without reading all of Exodus, what we do, you know, what we should hopefully all know is um, the promise back from earlier in Genesis that God gave to Abraham has come true. The uh, nation of Israel has been enslaved for uh, 400 and some years. Now Moses is called to come and deliver these people because um, God has remembered his promise to Moses and to the land and to, or to the people of Israel. And so Moses now is charged to go in front of Pharaoh and to deliver his people. And through this, there are uh, plagues that Egypt is given to demonstrate the power of God. And each of these plagues, uh, some people can say they have correlation to the bulls, in uh, Revelation 16, so uh, for instance, the first bull is sores, which is uh, the sixth plague in Egypt. The blood of the seas, the first plague. Um, the second uh, bull is blood of rivers and springs, which is again the first plague. Then the fourth is scorching heat, which does not have a correlation to the uh, Egyptian plagues. Darkness. Uh, is the seventh or is the fifth bull that looks towards the ninth plague? The sixth bull is rivers dried up and frogs is the second plague. Earthquakes and hailstorms, which is the seventh and final bull, is the seventh plague. So that's just some correlation between those two texts. Interesting uh, little study that I kind of came across when I was digging into all of this, but uh, one of the things that I thought was really fascinating when I was having some various discussions with uh, some of my friends and colleagues is the, the connection with the, um, the exodus and, and how that is really a type of um, Christianity today. And, and let me kind of explain that a little bit. Um, when the Israelites were enslaved in uh, Egypt, they were in bondage of to the to the Egyptians. They were in slavery. They had to obey and build, you know, temples and um, all sorts of different buildings. I mean, they were slaves, right? They they were beaten and abused and and all that. Um, and that is looked at as a type of slavery that the that the sinner is in before Christ releases them. Um, so then the Exodus then would become a, another type of the Christian being released from their bondage of sin and now being you know, an enslavement to righteousness. Because in reality, no matter how we view things, we are either slaves to sin or we are slaves to righteousness. So uh, I just thought that was kind of an interesting perspective that we can start, we can kind of picture how these are starting to correlate to the Christian worldview that, you know, before um, we were in Christ, we were just like the uh, Israelites that were enslaved in Egypt. We were in bondage to their sin and we were um, 
basically helpless because really for 400 years, the Israelites had nothing going on for them. And then Moses comes onto the scene and God is going to then use Moses to draw his people out and then continue to give them the promise and delivering them to um, the promised land. And he establishes his um, nation, his promise with these people that they will be his people. Uh, And we see all that going back to the promise that God has given to Abraham in Genesis 12. And so all of this is connecting, I hope, for you. And then it all is going to point forward to Christ as the ultimate redeemer, right? Moses is a type of Christ. Moses is the lawgiver. And Moses is the one who delivers the, the enslaved Israelites out of Egypt. But Christ is the final point the the new adam he is the better moses and the one that ultimately leads us out of bondage to sin and leads us into his righteousness so again i mean there's there's a lot of things that i can really dig into and um without reading extensive books um i unfortunately don't have the time to cherry pick and and dig into all of the finer pieces of how the individual text can point us towards them. Like I said, kind of throughout this series, I'm trying to just do a early or a, um, a high level view and give us kind of an understanding of a coming to, um, in, in terms of what this text is meaning, how does it have an impact on the end of times? And, you know, really, uh, with the Exodus, we can start to build now a foundation for that view. And now that Israel is, has been called out, now we have um, a, a, a people that we will start to see promises given to. We will start to see laws being given to. We will see actually the nation established. And we will start to see how they cling to the hope of a Messiah to come and deliver them from their from their sin. And interestingly enough, that as we go through kind of the history of Israel, they're always looking towards something. Um, for a long time, they were griping about how the judges weren't good enough. They wanted a king because they wanted to be like every other nation. And so they idolized a king. So God gave them a king. And... Um, while we see that in some cases they had flourished, in other cases they were taken captive, uh, then you have the splitting of the nation of Israel and the upper kingdom and the lower kingdom. And uh, so there's a lot of really good history in, in, this, you know, in the nation of Israel. So again, I advise you to read through the history books of the Old Testament. Um, but... What I am trying to really point us towards is how this Exodus, this uh, the story here in Exodus, the, the book, and the actual event of them leaving have correlation to the end of times. And when we start to understand it, how the people are under the bondage of the Egyptians, under the bondage of the Pharaoh, then this person comes along and saves them out of that bondage and essentially gives them freedom. That is the same thing that is a type of what Christ does for us. And these people were looking towards the day that they were free from that bondage. They weren't necessarily looking towards the, obviously the day that the world would end and God's righteousness would be established on earth as we are, but they were looking towards being free of their sins of being in bondage, of being free to live their lives as they choose to. So I hope that this kind of puts some correlation in here for you and and just starts to make you really think, you know, how do we as Christians relate to the text in in the Old Testament and how do we um, can understand our story through the eyes of the Exodus narrative? And we can you know, compare some of the bowls of judgment that were poured out onto Egypt with some of the things that we will see in Revelation. That's, you know, it's there. There's correlation there. Uh, I won't say, what, you know, we'll dig into that obviously when we get deeper into Revelation, but I won't, I'm not going to say now whether that's a, you know, these bowls will really happen. I would assume that when God comes to establish his final kingdom or in the time leading up to that, that these events won't happen. Um, 
maybe not all kind of, you know, um, one after another, but maybe throughout, you know, an extended period of time. At this juncture, I mean, Scripture kind of points us, you know, that Revelation is an account of the end of days, and it seems like if we were to take Revelation and just kind of pin it onto a time wheel, and all these events happen at one time, it would be chaotic period of time. Um, and very well may be. You know, there's the dispensational premillennialist understanding that takes the book of Revelation and a lot of the other um, eschatology text um, in a literal manner that this is the word of God, this is what it says, this is literally what's going to happen. Um, and again, I'm not going to rule out anything on that nature. I don't necessarily hold to it myself, but when we start to see that the accounts in Egypt literally happened, but they were isolated to just the kingdom of Egypt. And so really what we want to understand is that the text in Revelation appears that it's going to be more on a global scale. Whether it is or not, um, we'll get there when we get there. So I think there's a lot, again, there's, there's books written on how Exodus plays into eschatology. There's tons of books, um, videos, teachings, uh, coursework from seminaries that just focus solely on the Old Testament verses of eschatology or events that deal with the end of times. So I advise you to dig in, to um, read, study more, um, because again, I can only do this so much justice in the, you know, a lot of time that I have set these shows to. And I really hope that I just start to kind of get your taste bet, taste buds wetted as we are going through this entire um, series. And I hope that it encourages you to dig in deeper into all of the text. It encourages you to look at the biblical narrative from beginning to end and how it all paints God's redemptive plan towards the new heavens and the new earth. And so that is my goal. And I hope that just that examining these events and how we can start to point them towards either uh, the coming of Christ or the current status of those spiritually dead and how then they are brought to life through the spoken word of God. I really hope that we can start to point these all towards the, the conclusion of God's redemptive plan, and that is the new heaven and the new earth. So, I highly recommend you you dig into some books. I will try to um, do a book recommendation, you know, on these as we dig into them. One of the, you know, somebody had actually requested a book recommendation. So one of the things that has helped me is uh, Jahard Voss's book, the Old Testament uh, eschatology in the Old Testament. And he also has one on the Pauline eschatology. So um, his books are. A little bit more academical, if you would. They're pretty. They're pretty tough to read through just by a normal reading, but they've helped me to break down a lot of these events and to start to understand, like, how do these events point us forward into, you know, the end of times or to a greater coming of something, which is obviously in the Old Testament is going to be Christ. Because the Israelites, as I've mentioned, aren't looking towards the fire and brimstone of the end of days. They're looking for, in their eyes, the, rede the Redeemer Christ to come and save them from all of the afflicting nations. Which, again, is another misinterpretation uh, of the text that we know that um, has plagued the Jewish leaders for uh, many centuries. And that was why... Uh, the Pharisees didn't quite believe Jesus was the right Messiah because, you know, he wasn't their militant Messiah that they wanted. So that's another story for another episode, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I'm going to wrap it here. I hope you guys have gotten an understanding of where we see Abraham into Sodom and Gomorrah and into the Exodus and how that kind of all connects us to um the story of the spiritually dead Christian and now the um, redeemed Christian after Christ has called us to life and how that correlates back to the Exodus and how 
they were enslaved into bondage of slavery, and then God sends Moses to deliver them. And uh, again, we didn't touch very heavily on the plagues, but we didn't correlate how some of those have reflection to Revelation. And uh, and I would venture to say, as a spoiler alert, when we get into Revelation, we will be revisiting a lot of this text and showing a much more connected history uh, and how they uh, have a lot of correlation in of themselves. So these are just kind of the wedding of the taste bud, of I've mentioned a few times, towards us getting into the New Testament and how we can reflect heavily then on the Old Testament. So uh, we are going to look at the day of the Lord next and how that has some uh, Old Testament uh, implications. In our next episode, we will also be touching on uh, Ezekiel and Isaiah and their views on eschatology. And then we will wrap up with Daniel and any other Old Testament uh text in the remaining couple of weeks in this series on the Old Testament. So thanks for hanging with me, ladies and gentlemen. I hope that you guys are enjoying the series thus far. If you are, please make sure you subscribe on whatever platform you listen. If you have the ability to leave a review or leave comments, please do so. Uh, rate the show. And if you have the opportunity, send me a DM and tell me your thoughts. Uh, even if you don't care for it, let me know. I'm curious to know what your thoughts, complaints, and concerns are entirely. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in. Until next Friday, God bless. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.